0: Welcome to Lessons from the Lioness. My name is Tabitha, and I am your host.
1: And my name is Baylor. Tabitha lured me here by shaking a bottle of wine in my face. Well, it worked, didn't it? (laughs) I'm painting a very sad picture of my life. I don't know, wine makes me happy. I mean, yeah, you know, but now we're just setting this precedent that I only show up for wine. Now anyone can invite me anywhere if there's just wine. Actually, this is good. (laughs) I want to communicate this very strongly. <laughs> if there's wine, I'll show up. Well, we've all learned something about Baylor
0: today. Yay. <laughs> so what do you think about having our first podcast out there and everything?
1: I have not listened to the full thing. Oh my God, Baylor. I can't. I'm too self-criticizing, but I, I love that we did it. I love it and I love this podcast, but I'm just too self-criticizing, you know?
0: Oh, same. I hate the sound of my voice. And learning audio and figuring out how to edit. This is just a whole adventure in so many different ways.
1: Truly, any other, like, fellow podcasters out there, respect. Respect for those
0: who've put in the work, who Mm -hmm. have full studios, who understand how these editing softwares work, because God knows I need help. Right? So much respect. Yeah. I would like to thank my friend Al for inspiring this episode. Thanks, Al. So before we discuss our lioness, I gave you a little bit of homework, Baylor. Yeah, I get homework, you guys. (laughs) Baylor got homework. (laughs) And I asked you to touch a little bit on the world around this lioness and her time.
1: Just a few things from a little online digging. Between 1841 to 1867, a lot of stuff happened. The Moore's first electronic telegram. The first message was sent from Baltimore to Washington, which is pretty cool and sounds like a romance novel. I like it. (laughs) Karl Marx and Frederick Engels published Communist Manifesto. Ooh, politics. I know, and as we know, communism came up in the last election with Bernie Sanders and all that. Charles Darwin published Origin of Species. Getting into science. Another big-ticket item, too. I mean, we still discuss both of these things. And with Origin of Species, you also delved a little bit into religion as well. You know, so that was an interesting thing. The French capture Mexico City and proclaim Archduke Maximilian of Austria Emperor.
0: Austria? And Mexico?
1: I know. I, I read that one. I, I kind of want to delve into that story a little bit more. I might do that as homework <laughs> for myself. Because I was <laughs> like, how did this happen? But another big ticket item thing to happen. Alfred Noble invents dynamite. Boom. Yes. <laughs> For all the Looney Tunes, that's exactly what my mind went to. Acme. I mean. Yes. <laughs> uh, the American Civil War began in this time period as well. We all know how that went down. Leading to slavery being abolished in America. China cedes Hong Kong to Britain. And finally, Commodore Matthew Perry, not not Chandler, <laughs> not Chandler, but Commodore Matthew Perry of the U.S. Navy arrived in Tokyo's harbor. Perry, instructed by the U.S. government, forced Japan to enter into trade with the United States while demanding a treaty permitting trade and the opening of Japanese ports to U.S. merchant ships. So as you can see, this entire time period was pretty freaking cool. There's
0: so much going on. I'm glad that you brought up Japan, though, because we are talking about a samurai today.
1: Yes! Okay, that sounds even more exciting. Okay, this one's cool. Yeah, a woman samurai. Yes! Well, obviously. Well, obviously, The lioness samurai. Yes. I'm getting a picture of a lioness with a sword.
0: (laughs) Is that... Strapped to her back. Yes! As she prowls across the savannah. Yes! (laughs) That's a mood. (laughs) Her name was Nakano Takeko. So, what do you know about her? Just her name so far. Well, you're about to know so much more. Takeko was an amazing and brave warrior in her time. And then the story for today, I want to tell you about how she showed her selflessness and she had incredible self worth at the same time. In this culture, Nakano, the first name is actually the family name, whereas her personal name, Takeiko, is the last name. So from now on, we'll be calling her Takeiko. So Baylor, you ready for your story?
1: Absolutely ready. Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: Tink. (laughs) So let's set the scene. Okay. So we're in northern Japan, and this is during the Edo period. And our big event is going to be in 1868, but we're going to build up to that first. Now, just starting out here, I am super Midwest, super American, so I do apologize for any mispronounced words (laughs) right now. But she's going to try. I'm going to try and I'm, my I'm artist. I'm supporting her. Well, during this time in the Edo period, there were a lot of feudal domains. So let's think of them kind of like little mini kingdoms. And they were all underneath the Tokugawa shogunate, which was essentially military rule. Technically, there was an imperial emperor of the shogunate who gave the power to the shogun. But... The emperor really didn't have any power themselves.
1: So we're under shogun rule, which Mm -hmm. is a military rule. Yes. And while in this rule there was an emperor, Mm -hmm. the power was allotted to the military. He's more of the figurehead.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. It was essentially a military dictatorship.
1: Okay. But he's on the the little dollar bills and he's the one looking good at representing.
0: Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Okay. We're in Azu, which is about 300 miles from modern-day Tokyo. And you, Baylor, are extremely loyal as someone who's living in Azu to the Tokugawa shogunate. Oh, of course, of course, of course, yes, yes. So loyal, in fact, that we're allowed to have the castle. We get a castle? We get a castle. Oh, yes! There was a lot of trust placed in this domain and its lord as to how loyal they were to the shogunate so that so i'm high shows. up i'm not
1: a villager no
0: you are not a villager okay no, so i'm not one of the
1: lords i'm in that group yes that has been allotted a, a castle
0: in fact you are part of the warrior cast
1: okay. Okay.
0: We'll, we'll get to that in a minute so the leader of Azu is our daimyo and his last name i'm not going to try the first i'm sorry is katamori he was not only related to the Tokugawa shogunate, but he also had hereditary rule to Eizu too. So he had a lot of power in this particular area. As you are part of the military class, you take Bushido very seriously.
1: Okay. So tell me more about Bushido.
0: Bushido is basically the equivalent of chivalry in Europe. It's a loose set of moral values that emphasize sincerity, frugality, loyalty. Martial arts and honor until death. A key aspect of Bushido is just a lot more of this militaristic aspect to it. It's it's this warrior ethic that you will go down fighting. And unlike chivalry in Europe, women under the Tokugawa shogunate were expected to at least have a basic martial arts skill. That was primarily to prevent their families from being dishonored. How much training they actually ended up receiving Depending on the domain or the kingdom that they were actually in, political circumstances and any economic circumstances as well. But we are in Azu, so this ethic, this bushido, isn't something that women are doing as a formality. You are taking this extremely seriously as a woman in
1: Azu. So I'm like, I'm living it and I'm breathing it. This you is- are. This is an everyday thing, Mm -hmm, whereas sometimes, mm -hmm. chivalry, you'd have to open a door for someone else, but if you just didn't leave your house, you didn't have to do that. Yep. But this is something that, no matter what, it's constantly on my mind.
0: Yes. Yes. This is something that's formative to who you are. You would be extremely experienced in combat drilling and really experiencing the use of the halberd, or as it was called um, in Japanese, naginata.
1: And what is that?
0: It's... A really long pole with a single long blade on the end. And an interesting thing about this weapon is that it is particularly used by women because it accounted for women's balance with their upper body strength. So this is a weapon really formed for women.
1: I like that. I don't think you often hear about weapons that are formed for women. Mm -hmm. Like with, you know, women thought weapons. Oh, yeah. Very cool. I should get one. (laughs) When are you going to use it? When someone breaks into my house. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Well, these women in Azu thought the same exact way, and they were educated to believe equally in the ways of the pen and the sword, so being able to write well and being able to fight. And they were indoctrinated with the belief that their duty was first to protect their domain, then their lord, who in this case was Katamori, let's not forget that, and then after that, then it was their families.
1: Interesting. Alright, pretty strict structure there. Extremely strict
0: culture. Well, let's get to our actual lioness for the day.
1: Nakano Takeko.
0: Mm-hmm. Takeko was part of this warrior class of women. With you. Yay. She was born in 1847, and she was the daughter of a military commander, Nakano Hanai. How old was Takeko? Takeko was 16 when all of this drama started. Her mother was named Koko, who's in her 40s and Masako, who was 16, when this entire event that we're going to talk about occurs. She was also adopted by Akuka, who was a master of both martial arts and calligraphy. Adoption in this culture was basically a form of extending your family name and helping someone else climb the social ladder. So it wasn't that she was actually being adopted, it's that this individual found her so important or found so much worth in her that he wanted to adopt her. Akoka taught Tateko combat skills when she was at his training school in Azu with 20 other girls to study the halberd. That's the Naginato.
1: Oh, that's the cool weapon thing that I wanted.
0: Yeah, the cool okay. weapon thing you wanted. So many terms. There's a lot of terms. Tateko is also a teacher in the local area, so she was invested in her community. So Katamori, the daimyo of Azu, was appointed the military governor of Kyoto, the imperial capital where the emperor was. And the reason why he was appointed there by the shogun was to keep Tokugawa control over the imperial court. The imperial court did not appreciate that, and they were against the shogunate's rule. In late 1867, Katamori resigned in order to ease that tension, but it was too late and it did not work. An imperial army was formed out of some commoners around them, and the emperor legitimized this action by officially dismissing the shogun and proclaiming a return to direct imperial rule, so the Emperor is taking charge again.
1: Yes, he so he's done with being the figurehead mm-hmm. and wants to play a more active role.
0: So in January eighteen sixty eight Tateko is around twenty two The pro-shogun forces attempted to retake Kyoto, and they were primarily made up of Azu fighters, the place where Takeko
1: and yubailer Baylor are from. So the emperor's taken power again. So these forces, the conflict is between people who are either pro-shogun or anti-shogun. Is that correct? That is correct.
0: And with these pro-shogun fighters, remember that Eizu really supported the shogunate. So all of these forces are made up of Eizu fighters that are coming after the Imperial Army. The Imperial Army, made up of 4,500 commoners, defeated the 15,000 warrior pro-shogunate army. I
1: love those kind of things. Underdogs for real. Mm -hmm. In May
0: 1868, the imperial army marched on Edo and trapped the shogun in the city. The shogun surrendered in return for his life, and the army occupied Edo and renamed it Tokyo, meaning eastern capital. Now Katamori, our daimyo for Eizu, he continued to resist the new order, saying that the emperor was now in charge and the shogun had surrendered. And the emperor declared him to be an enemy of the state and ordered his execution. Katamori's response was that he created a coalition of different pro-shogun forces. So both sides are getting ready for a fight now. They both started racking up firearms from foreign powers, including the Americans and the British. And what they could afford was very different on both sides. The imperial army had over 70,000 in forces and tons of artillery. And the Azu forces, only 7,000. Oh
1: my gosh, no.
0: Puny. No. And they had little squads of elites, commoners, teenagers, and even elderly warriors.
1: But, to be fair, we all know that all you need for a good squad is three people. (laughs) You always, like, feel like these are always done in, like, movies, but you don't really think about it. That's so... It's always like you know the ragtag group of kids is gonna beat the you know, and you don't picture
0: the old guy with his cane coming out and he's gonna you be
1: the fight. But this is for real. There are elderly warriors. Seventy thousand to seven thousand. So That's stressing me out. It's stressing and it's done. It happened. We're you know, it, we can't change it. Oh, I'm in this. Yeah, I feel like I would have bailed. You, you have guys, been to be training, honest, I would have bailed. You were hard. ready.
0: You have been raised with this Bushido work ethic. You are thinking that you are going to defend your land, your country, your family, your lord. This is your moment, ride or die. Well, all of this had been building up, and now it was finally coming to the battle. Here it is. Which was in late autumn. Takeko is 22 at this point. The imperial forces invaded Azu. They destroyed towns during the invasion, and all the warrior families, which you're a part of, started moving in closer into the city and capital of Aizu.
1: Everyone's kind of closing ranks right now, Mm -hmm. then.
0: On October 8th, the Imperial Army invaded the capital, and the Crane Castle's watch bell was sounded. That told everyone that they needed to move into the Crane Castle. All of the forces needed to move inside in order to be safe.
1: So kind of like that movie Troy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Before they sent in the big horse. (laughs) The big horse. (laughs) I know things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, once the bell was sounded, that's when the mass suicides also started. There was a rumor that the Imperial army of the 70,000 had a scorched earth policy to slaughter all of the Azu males and to sell um, the Azu women off. And this made death a more appealing alternative to capture to all of these people within this area.
1: Mass suicides? What does that mean? That kind of just popped up out of nowhere. Azu's warrior women, they committed suicide not because
0: they were being loyal, they did it because they wanted to prevent being captured. They were under no illusions that they were going to be given any leniency just because they were women.
1: So this is because of the Bushido that you explained earlier, you kind of touched on that, and it's more about honor, and the fact that, yeah, they didn't want to be tortured and disgraced, and it was just a more honorable way to leave this world. It's just cultural context. Their idea of suicide is something that is not familiar to us. But given the time period and the situation in this wartime, it's something that makes sense. Now we're coming back to Takeko. She's Arlina, after all.
0: Okay. When the bell sounded... Takeko and her mother, Koko and her sister, Maseko, cropped their waist-length hair to shoulder-length and tied it back in a young man's hairstyle. They modified their women's clothing to hold back the sleeves, and they put on trousers and sandals. They took out the long and their short swords and their nagadatas to fight outside of the castle's walls. While they were fighting outside the castle walls, the castle defenders barred the gates they ended up being trapped outside. They ended up joining up with 20 to 30 other women who were also stuck outside of the walls, and they became the women's army. Hey, Coco, Takeko's mother, was the leader of the squad. The squad made their way to a gathering place for the Azu forces that had been predetermined. They had heard rumor that Katamori's adopted sister had been evacuated, and the squad decided to go to her aid. On the way, they were fed by locals, who ended up remembering Takeko, who was a teacher in the area. Later that night, Takeko took a delegation to the commander of a brigade and asked to have their squad join them. He refused outright.
1: Oh, wow. Just shut her down?
0: He said that if the enemy saw Azu women were participating in the combat, that they would take it as a sign of the domain's weakness, and the domain was desperate.
1: Sadly, this is still something that we're working to improve, even today.
0: Mm -hmm. Women are awesome. -hmm. And her honor was being threatened. It was. It was being threatened. She trained for this. Like, she had been told this with her culture, with the Bushido ethic, that it was her job to be a warrior. Not necessarily just because she was a woman. She wasn't an exception in her society. She was. The rule for these warrior women. Takeko threatened to commit suicide if she was not allowed to join up with his force. The commander urged the women's army to wait until the arrival of another uh, group of soldiers who would return them to the castle. So basically, all poor little women, I'll protect you. I
1: was like, no, sir, we got it. We can protect ourselves.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well. It was clear that Katamori's sister was not evacuated there. Takeko agreed on behalf of the squad to be taken back to the castle to see if they could find Katamori's sister there. I think something to remember here is that she was protecting her lord. So Katamori's sister, her daimyo, she is still sticking by all these rules. She's going back to the castle in her mind. The only reason why she's doing it is still to protect her domain, to protect her lord.
1: And to protect her honor.
0: Protect her honor, yeah.
1: You train for something your entire life and that moment arises, you're gonna take it.
0: Mm-hmm. On October 9th, the squad was taken to a post station to meet with the commander. That field commander wouldn't let them join his group either, and made them go with Furuya, another commander. Because Takeko had been pushing so hard on these commanders, this last commander ended up putting Takeko in charge instead of her mother, Coco.
1: So was that third time's term? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and now she's being placed in charge.
0: Mm. That night, Takeko and Coco talked about what they were going to do with Maseko, Takeko's sister. Given that she was so young, Coco and Takeko wanted to know about where they should place her into hiding. They didn't want her to get involved in the fighting. Maseko, she overheard them talking, and she was not happy. She's been raised the same way as these other women. She wants to fight too, even if she is 16. And so... Eventually, they ended up deciding that they would keep Maseko with them so that they could prevent her from being taken alive. In the end, fear of what the enemy could possibly do to Maseko if she was left alone was what made them decide to keep her with the squad. And all this is happening in just a couple of days. Now we're moving to October 10th. The AZ forces are splitting up and come at the Imperial forces in different ways. The plan of attack was to strike suddenly and break through rather than engaging in an extended battle. The women's army knew what was likely to happen to them. They were determined to not be taken alive, so they went in full throttle. They charged into the line of fire with only their naginadas and their swords. When the imperial troops realized that they were feasting women warriors, there was that howl to take them alive. And because they were so overconfident, Many of these invaders, which is how these AZ women saw them, died at their hands.
1: Yes. Never underestimate a lioness. Nicely put. Thank you for workshopping that.
0: (laughs) Takeko reportedly had steely eyes and radiated an intense male spirit.
1: I'm sure that she was honored by that. To know that, hey, I'm out here and at least they're seeing me. At least I'm on this battlefield. At least I'm accomplishing what I've worked so hard for, and at least I'm protecting the ones that I love.
0: She ended up killing five to six Imperial troops just in quick succession with her Naginata. And then she was shot in the chest or the head at the peak of battle.
1: Hey, but, you know, she... Well, we could take I look at this and say, oh, this is a tragedy. For someone like that, and for how much she wanted to fight, that's probably, that is, I could probably, I can say 90% confidence, that's how she wanted to go out. hmm I think we all want to die knowing that we accomplished what we wanted out of life. And I think, I hope, that she got some peace of mind in that.
0: Maseko had to sever Takeko's head from her body. In order to prevent her head from being taken as a trophy. However... Possibly because of Takeko's matted hair, Maseko was unable to cut her head off by herself and needed some help from some nearby soldiers. I find that kind of crushing. Yeah. The head was then wrapped in a scarf for cremation. After Takeko's death, one of Takeko's other adopted sisters ended up taking charge of the squad. Continuing the legacy, hopefully. That's the story of Takeko.
1: It's pretty short, isn't it? It is. It what that was October seventh through tenth. the tenth, um, so three days. Three days. That's a lot to happen in three days.
0: What do you think of Takeko?
1: Takeko was selfless, and I think that that is something so valuable to remember, especially with the United States culture, where that is not something that we strive to at all. But listening to her story and seeing how family was important, country was important, and to see her put that first and then to make history in such a short amount of time because of those values, its it shows you the worth of that and how we could all definitely be more like her. I'm glad to hear that
0: for me the reason why this story really struck me is that she kept trying it would have been allowable if she had been turned down by the commander the first time for her to go back to the castle and her honor would have been maintained because she made the effort she went to the commander and she also respected his decision so in many ways that was also an honorable route for her to take was to go back to the castle But she didn't. She kept trying because she was a warrior and she wasn't going to let this whole situation stop her from her just being a woman. She had trained for this her entire life. She had been told, you have to defend your people. You have to defend your family and your land and your daimyo. This is crucial to your honor, to who you are as a person, in order for you to keep your pride and your dignity. And it didn't matter if even a commander told her, Oh, it's fine. It's okay. You can go back and be protected. How was she going to change her mind after all this time of being trained for 22 years that this is the way that you needed that you need to be? You need to respect yourself and you need to respect your culture and your family. To me, something I learned here is also. She was being selfless. But she also had intense self-worth. Because it wasn't that she wanted to die. She could have committed suicide with all of these other upper-class warrior women.
1: Right, because at the time, several were doing that. and That was 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 an option.
0: Yes, and that was an option and also considered an honorable option. Mm -hmm. She didn't. She felt that she had worth to give on the battlefield. And even if that's where she died she felt that that was a place that her worth could be found and i i just truly admire that i think both of us end up finding two different lessons here maybe that she was selfless but at the same time she had self-worth she didn't think that her life was that easily given away that she had something to give before she left dark
1: very very dark so keep- wasn't, this was an intense one. It really was. It really was. All right. So, sadly, she's left us. Yep. How did this play out? What happened after?
0: The women's army retreated back to an outpost where Takeko had been a teacher. The army regrouped, and they gave Takeko's head death rates, and her naginata was donated to the local temple. After that, the women's army went to the castle's keep. And they met with their daimyo, Lord Katamori, and reported on the battle. It turned out that there was suspicions that Katamori's adopted sister was in the castle the whole time, but they found out that that was the truth. She had never left. They had gone out to go find Katamori's sister in the first place for that reason. So
1: that's what started them on their path to two rejections and a third approval and the battle that followed. That's. I sure. want to say it sucks because it's just—it's not good wording, but it sucks.
0: Mm-hmm. Gets a little worse for the Azu people. On October twenty-sixth, the capital was overrun by the imperial forces, and the shogunate ended.
1: All in all, it's a very sad story, but I think Dumbledore said it best. But happiness can be found even in the darkest of times, if one only remembers to turn on the light. And our lioness in the story is definitely the light. I know that was cheesy, but that's what I got from the story. Because, like you said, we learned a lot from her. She had self-worth, and
0: she was selfless.
1: An interesting combination, and definitely the light in the story. I don't know. I just feel very moved by this one. I will. I hope our audiences too
0: send us some comments, some suggestions. Tell us what your thoughts are, Makano Tteko, and make sure to tune in next time.
1: Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Do you think the
0: that- theme of this podcast is just cheesy jokes
1: i think that's our niche i think that's who's going to gravitate toward us also i hope i captured a lot of harry potter nerds just then
0: i am (laughs) such a harry potter nerd talk about strong women hermione oh my god oh my god